0: Welcome to They Came From Outer Space, a radio program where we talk to filmmakers and buffs about their favorite sci-fi film and how it relates to their own work and today's wild, wild world. I'm filmmaker Cameron Kidd, also known on WIR as DJ Lilas, and you're tuned in to WIR LP 97.3 FM, Richmond Indie Radio. I am here today with Andrew Doherty to discuss one of my favorite films literally ever, The Matrix? What is The
1: Matrix? The Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth?
0: No one has ever done anything like this.
1: That's why it's going to work. Buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye-bye.
2: Yeah, I'm really glad to be here. And, uh, you know, when you asked me what my favorite film was and I said The Matrix, I was Incredibly surprised that you had not already talked about it. I
0: know. It's like episode 29 and here we are. For those who don't know, Andrew Doherty is a cinematographer based in Brooklyn in New York. He shot everything from Paul McCartney for Wired to Jesse Graff, the oldest female American ninja warrior. I thought that was kind of relevant. Yeah. Um, He also shoots shorts and indie work, including assistant camera for three shorts in 2013. And with a lifelong passion for film, he graduated from NYU's Tisch School of Arts. What year? Uh,
2: I graduated in 2014.
0: You studied film and television and since then have worked on all sorts of things across the board from short films to big winning web content.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And I need to, I need to uh, write down that bio you gave me. I got to use that. Oh,
0: Copy and paste <laughs> it. Find out more um, at andrewfilm.com. How did you get andrewfilm.com?
2: You know, it's funny because I also have my full name. So andrewdoherty.com. And smart, smart. But it's just like so hard to to spell, you know. So I wanted to get like a simpler domain. And uh yeah, surprisingly, Andrew film was not taken. So
0: kids buy those multiple domains. You never yes, know. Yes, do you never it. know what the great so you were surprised that I had never done the matrix? Why did you want to talk about the matrix?
2: You know, I think for me the matrix is looking back, like I think it's maybe the most influential film on me personally. Um, and it's incredibly, you know, influential just in film in general. Like so I think, you know, for me it was the first movie that I ever owned personally. I remember like saving up my allowance to buy it and just watching it like
1: oh, over my God. and over again. That is so cute. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. cute.
2: I was I was in like fourth or fifth grade or something like that. And then um, my, you know, my brother and I had like a camcorder and we would like go into our backyard and like try to recreate sequences from it, you know, like the classic, uh, bullet time sequences. And it just really got me like excited about film and filmmaking. And I think beyond that, what makes it really special to me even now is it's something that like I, every time I revisit, I can kind of see it in a new light and get something new from it. So it's just really it really holds up. Like I watched it a few days ago, <clears throat> a few days ago, and it's just like, it is just still so good.
0: It's amazing how good, I, that's actually one of my first questions is why does this film hold up so well compared to, I mean, it's over 20 years old now. And yeah. and like you, the thing that happens to a lot of late 90s, early 2000s movies is they make a big deal of, of technology that is now so far in the past. Mm-hmm. And even that moment where he opens up the Nokia phone, yeah. Shoots open. It's still it's still cool, even though that phone is so old. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they did such a good job with every every aspect.
2: Hello.
1: Hello, Neo. Do you know who this is?
2: Definitely. I mean, I think I think that if you tweak a few details like the phones or certain things like that, it could still just as easily easily have been made like, you know this past year or something like that. Could it
0: have? Could it have been made this past year in this day and age? I don't know.
2: Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) But uh, I would like to think that it could have been. But like, I guess the, the themes and the ideas in it are still like incredibly relevant today.
0: Yeah. That's another thing that I'm so impressed by the Wachowskis is their ability to look forward. And what I like about science fiction is its ability to talk about What we want and what we don't want in the future as a society.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: This film was very far ahead of its time and is also just still cool. Like, there's a lot of movies that were ahead of its time but aren't as fun to watch and don't have Rage Against the Machine at the end credits. Yeah,
2: we we got to talk about that ending. It's one of the best, one of the best endings of all time, in my opinion. I think it's so cool
0: that it inspired you to go fiddle around with a camcorder, though. Like that—that is like so. It is literally influential.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think. I think for me like when I first watched it, you know, I was just blown away by like the action and the style, you know, cuz I was in mm-hmm. like 4th grade or whatever at the time. But you know, as I was rewatching it, like when I was a little bit older, I was really blown away by like the, you know, sci-fi elements and the, you know, philosophical questions that it poses. And then yeah. it's been really interesting as well um more recently how it's kind of uh seen in more of like a trans lens and that's something
1: Real. yeah
2: that's something i'm not i guess super you know well uh you know qualified to discuss in a lot of detail but i think it's incredibly interesting yeah what are your thoughts on that
0: i mean i i noticed it so much watching it this most recent time yeah. which is like the the two or three years that have passed um so many more of my friends have come out as trans like th- in the just the past three years three of my close friends came out which is really cool yeah. and we're we're becoming we're kind of like building up some momentum as a society to make this more acceptable reading that as subtext makes this film very different i will say and really yeah. cool
2: yeah it's so. it just adds another layer to something that is already so amazing and, and just feels so personal too but at the same time it's so like universal which is in a weird way like it i think it's really interesting how you know certain ideas and stuff have been like co-opted by like for example, like men's rights activists and stuff like that. Red,
0: I wrote that down. Yeah. Red pill and blue pill. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, before we dive into the real deep theory, I'm going to give you an overview. Andrew and I are going to spoil everything, but that should not stop you from listening before you watch. I think it's, you know, this this podcast is about craft, but also about content and also about, you know, what goes into film and it can actually increase your enjoyment of yes. the movie. Here we go. Released in 1999 by Warner Brothers, The Matrix became an instant cult and critical favorite, defining cyberpunk for the 2000s. It was described by one of the crew as simply robots versus kung fu, <laughs> which I love. Yeah. It's the story of a sweet-faced software developer played by Keanu Reeves, who goes by the hacker alias Neo, who is recruited for a nefarious mission by ominous, leather-clad Trinity, Anne Moss, and leader Morpheus, by- played by Lawrence Fishburne so good yes um after taking the red pill neo endures the rudest of all awakenings which is to find out that the world is not real we are in fact brains and vats yes this is a simulation elon musk was right <laughs> <laughs> our, our beloved keanu comes to terms with his prophesized savior status he learns martial arts enough to battle the agents headed by Hugo weaving as agent smith by bending the rules, that machines have set upon humanity and fight to wake up the world
2: yeah well well said it's 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 a lot there's there's so much going on in this movie and i'm 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 just so impressed with how everything holds together so well and it's just like it's so tight too you know
0: i I noticed that too watching it is there's no fat i mean yeah. you can, there's there's a lot that goes into making an action film good and one of is good performances, but you need moments of humor when you're dealing with a subject as as serious as you know the subterfuge of all of humanity. Yes. Right. <laughs> They're dealing with really heavy topics. I, you said you saw this when you were in fourth grade. I saw this when I was, about about exactly the same age. Yeah. And I'm glad I did. But the that the CGI of the the rows of humans being harvested was really impactful and scary for me. Right. Like that yeah, concept had never really been explored.
2: Yeah. And this this movie in general is there's a lot of really scary stuff. There's a lot of like body horror and just really like frightening ideas so it definitely you know disturbed me a bit as a child but uh in a good way i'm you know i'm happy about it (laughs) yeah
0: me too i mean the most disturbing was the concept that this could not be reality i think that was really tough for me like i was the the story is like i was touching the staircase and like i was like mom is this real how do i know (laughs) and she she was like oh no i showed you the matrix too early but (laughs) I I wanted to start off talking about cinematography since yes. that's your your primary work and Bill Pope was, is a really interesting character because he also went to NYU and he they he was recruited to this film because of Army of Darkness yeah. and since this film hadn't really done anything as good let's be real I mean he does Cosmos and he did Spider Man too but this to me is his opus
2: yeah I, I agree with that I mean he's he's worked with um, a lot of really talented directors like Sam Raimi and uh, Edgar Wright and you know he's he's got a really like I I feel like he does style really well and he kind of like
1: yeah
2: he he can adapt to the directors that he's working with um like I mean he did Scott Pilgrim versus the world as well which is oh that
0: makes so much sense yeah
2: so you know so stylish um so I don't you know I don't know him obviously personally but like I feel like he really likes kind of like diving into um style and really like pushing the limits which definitely you can see in this film
0: yeah i mean i think you can just from you saying that a lot of the stuff he does is based on comics so there's a quote from an interview i read with him where he said i think they they being the Wachowskis, Mm -hmm. i think they hired me because i read comics and knew what they were talking about whenever they mentioned a particular title in fact during our meeting there was a copy of frank miller's sin city on the desk and i asked them is that what you want the film to look like
2: yes And, and this film I mean, you can tell that it's incredibly heavily influenced by comic books. A lot of the way, the ways that things are framed and you know composed is just like straight out of a comic book. I think, especially, especially that first opening sequence with Trinity is just like straight out of a comic book.
1: Morpheus, the line was traced. I don't know how.
2: I know. They got the hard line. Have to focus, Trinity. There's a phone at and Lake. You can make it. I right. go.
0: I think I like got estrogen from watching that. Like I think <laughs> I like the estrogen molecules were released. You know, I wanted to ask you about that with stylization. I mean, you said it feels like it's out of a comic book. Yeah. They hired a bunch of comic artists and they made a very intense and very detailed. Um, set of storyboards that were almost like an own work in and of itself that's what he was working off of. So tell me about your experience creating style and what the varying range you get from directors and teams and producers on like have you ever had somebody give you something that's like this is exactly what we want down to the letter.
2: You know yeah you know it always it always uh you know varies a lot from director to director. Some directors are, are really technical and have like a super clear image of what they want and are able to, you know, get that across through storyboards and stuff. But I think for me, what I really enjoy when I'm working with the director is kind of like figuring out their vision and and collaborating with them and like coming up with ideas and stuff. And I, I do a lot of, um, you know, drawing and storyboards myself, um, even on projects that wouldn't necessarily like require it, but it's just, I think it's a really important exercise to be like thinking in that in that way you know
0: absolutely i i love drawing i find myself drawing stills all the time but yeah um if you had to choose a style let's say you know we know bill pope is kind of a comic style what would you say you you like to align yourself most with along alongside say your interests
2: um that's that's a really hard question i mean you know i shoot a lot of stuff that's more kind of corporate and like clean looking but uh I, I just love, you know, like horror and really dramatic lighting. I think that's the kind of stuff that I am, you know, fantasizing about or just dreaming about day to day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's, that's a hard question, though.
0: But it's interesting how all of those interests come through. I, I mean, I, I feel really silly because I didn't realize until I was watching behind the scenes stuff and interviews how much of this film is influenced by anime. Because yes. Because... I don't think anime was very mainstream in America at this yeah. point, right? I mean, now it's pretty mainstream, I would say. There's a lot yeah. of animation that's like, kind of flooded the American market. But I, yeah, I was really surprised by that. And then, of course, you, when you think about the way that things are lined up, right? Like just some of the choices of where to place the camera during the shots and the fact yeah. that they did bullet time and, and made cameras go around in a circle. Yeah. I don't know. that. I don't, I don't, do you know the actual like story behind why they came up with that circular idea? Was that completely them or were they borrowing that from someone? Do you know?
2: Um, That's, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I know that it was influenced, like, Bullet Time in general had a few influences. Um, Yeah, a lot of it was from anime, in particular, uh, Akira and also Ghost in the Shell, which I just watched Ghost in the Shell for the first time in preparation for this, and it's, it's amazing. Um, But, and then there were also, some stuff like some, uh, I think, music videos from Michelle Gondry. American oh,
0: I didn't know. That makes so much sense. name,
2: but um, name. Michelle yeah, Gondry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's just a lot of like kind of that extreme slow motion and stuff. But I think something that I really like about this movie is that when there are like those intense, you know, st- stylistic choices, like the bullet time and stuff, it's always like motivated by something coming out of like character and story, right? Like the bol- mm. the bullet time in my opinion is supposed to represent basically like a like intense kind of control over your self and your surroundings, you know?
0: Wow. Well yeah. said. So for those <laughs> listening, could you explain what that bullet time effect is?
2: Yeah, so um basically it from, you know, in the first couple of minutes of the film, we get a, our first taste of Bullet time when Trinity um is she, well, first she like runs along the wall, <laughs> which is just awesome. And then mm-hmm. uh and then she uh jumps up and does like a crane kick on a cop in his chest.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: as that's happening, the camera um in that particular sequence it time seems to almost freeze completely, and then the camera like rotates around her and um, yeah and throughout the film that effect uh, continues and I think the the most iconic version is the um, the sequence with neo like dodging bullets and you know like where he's leaning back and his arms are going behind him and yeah essentially um, how that effect is achieved, which I think is is really cool is it's actually like a time lapse with a bunch of cameras, still cameras actually. And so they're set up like in a semicircle or circle around the characters and they're um being triggered in like in you know in just a fraction of a second. Yeah, so they're being triggered sequentially and that kind of creates an effect of this like really intense slow motion. And then I believe that there was like computer interpolated Frames like in between, but it's mostly just still images, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, I couldn't believe that. But the, I mean, at the time, this was an effect that had never been done, and it essentially wasn't really using CGI as the base, right? Yeah, in real life.
2: Yeah, it's mostly mostly a practical effect, which is cool because I think a lot of this movie, a lot of the best effects are practical effects. Like,
0: amen, brother. Yeah, but they came from outer space. Catchphrase. Yes, practical effects, people.
2: Yes. But the thing, but the moments of CG in this film, most of them are like, just add to the kind of practical effects and really help sell it and make it more intense, you know, but it's like, nowadays, so much stuff is, is just shot on like a green screen or, you know, it's just completely computer generated, which is.
0: It's, I think the in general, the over-reliance on CGI means that we have to do it. The expectation is to get it done faster and faster, but it, when it, it is so much of the film, it feels so much more disappointing. For those of you who are just listening, this is "They Came from Outer Space." I'm Cameron Kitt here on WIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. I'm speaking with Andrew Doherty about
1: the Matrix.
2: So yeah, their dedication to you know practical effects and making things like very realistic, I think also can be seen in the choreography and the fighting, which I think is just Ugh. so good.
0: Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's so amazing.
2: Um, something that I think is, is pretty cool is they had all of the, you know, the main cast uh, trained for like four or five months before the beginning of the film. And it was really intense training with, uh, with Wu Ping, who's like a very famous uh, Kung Fu choreographer who, mm-hmm had mostly just done stuff um, in, you know, for famous Hong Kong action movies. Uh, But I think, so something that I I read online is that apparently when the Wachowskis first uh, reached out to him, he basically wasn't really interested in the project. So he just asked for like a bunch of money first and they were like, yeah, we'll give you a bunch of money. (laughs) And then he was like, okay, well, I want to make all your, your actors train for like four months. And they were like, yeah. Like, you can do that and he's like okay well i want complete creative control over like all the action and all the fight scenes and they're like yeah you know have it <laughs> so i love
0: that so yeah. much
2: and he was like and, all right i'll do and it and guess yeah.
0: what it was for the best it was for the best because those are so iconic i mean this is the whooping yuan is the same guy who did crouching tiger hidden dragon and kill bill yeah. i recently rewatched crouching tiger it's one of my favorite movies it's So good. and it's so important for the actors themselves to be doing these stunts because you see their face in these experiences, like to be able to see, to be able to see Neo's face look of surprise when he sees Morpheus about to land on him and that knee comes down and the cry, like there's so much that is so integral, but I think uh, something I was, I've been listening to this book on directing actors
1: Mm -hmm.
0: uh, called directing actors. And she actually brought this same thing up because they, some, some, Sources say they actually trained for a year on and off, depending on where they were. And she said, What is so important about that training is that the directors are able to sneak in rehearsal and dialogue and character throughout yeah. all that time, right? Like the amount of time they're spending, they're also spending getting to know their characters. Yeah. And that I think is part of the reason why the performances are so good. Is because they had so long to to really prepare.
2: Yeah, definitely. I I feel like it really, you know, it really led to stronger performances and and just the dedication to getting like the physicality of things. Right. I think it it really, it really comes across and and paid off big in this movie. Like in another way that, you know, it had a huge impact is like you were saying earlier about being able to see the faces and stuff. Um, Yeah. There's so many shots of, you know, fight scenes that are like just much wider or um, held for much longer than I feel like people were used to seeing at that time um and it's the action scenes are just so you know so powerful like to actually understand what's going on instead of like this chaotic like uh yeah. editing to like close-ups and stuff like that but you can actually see the choreography it's yeah. it's really beautiful
0: that's something i think is important that that I don't know how much Wu-Ping had influence over the edit, but that's a big difference between American and Chinese action films, especially like pretty much most Asian films. They do a, a slight bleed over of the edit where you see the punch hit, and then that punch is still hitting in the next frame when their face. so you, But your brain fuses them together. Mm-hmm. In American films, we cut out the hit most of the time. So you see a punch and a person's face moving. Yeah. Right? So there's not that same sense of impact. Yeah. But I mean what's your favorite stunt scene? Like what's your favorite fight moment in this film? Like which one really stands out to you?
2: It's that's a really hard question because there's just so many, so many good ones. Um And they're all, they're all different too, which I think is, is really like really well done. They they each stand out and have their own specific like feel to them. Like for example, when Morpheus is fighting agent Smith um, in the bathroom, that's I guess a more like Western style fight. Like there's, dust everywhere and they're just like slamming each other's heads into the walls and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um And then I think for me, probably my, my favorite fight scene would probably be the end on the subway platform. Yeah. With, with Neo and agent Smith. Cause it's like, I mean, it's just so intense. It's and, legendary. Yeah. And there's so many, like, I feel like there's so many good little details in that too, that I like still remember to this day. Like for example, there's a moment when um when Neo is punching agent Smith and like and then uh, Smith grabs his wrist like right as he's mm-hmm. about to punch his neck and then he just like flicks his flicks fingers his- out yes yeah. <laughs> yes,
0: that's a kung fu move yeah, I didn't know about this the moment for me that moment in the fight is when he he gets up and kind of like moves his arms like shakes his arms a little into like a, a pose and the dust mm-hmm. falls off of him I literally cheered yeah. I was it- like to to elicit that level of emotion is so cool. But I mean, so good. both he and Kerianne Moss, both Keanu and Kerianne Moss did all their own stunts. I, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm assuming Lawrence did as well. Keanu yeah. climbed out of the window on the 34th floor of an, of an office in Sydney and had yeah. no wires on him for that first opening scene. And Kerianne yeah. Moss twisted her ankle during like the first week of shooting and didn't tell anyone because she was scared they would fire.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I heard about that. No, apparently it sounds like there were actually a lot of injuries because I know that um, Keanu's neck was messed up and, and um, Hugo Weaving's uh, leg got quite injured, I believe. And he had to have like surgery on it. And they actually had to like, you know, reorder a bunch of the shooting because they had to push his scenes more towards the end. But and there's there's also another really cool little moment um in that bathroom fight scene that I was talking about where this was always something that I really loved and it's it's really fast, but there's a moment when Morpheus is going to like punch Smith and and uh Hugo Weaving like punches his punch in midair and blocks his punch with his fist. And I mm-hmm. always thought that was like a cool detail, but in watching the behind the scenes I realized that that was just a complete accident. And he, actually, he actually messed up his wrist <laughs> during that. Oh, no. Uh, but they, they kept it in. But yeah. So
0: one of the things that's been really different for me is in the since I watched this last, I had been training in Kung Fu for about a year and a half. Oh, nice. So I've been training very tightly in Wing Chun Kung Fu, which is a style that was developed by a woman. But the, the entirety of the Kung Fu school and seeing those actual moves on film is so mm-hmm. different because I, I can recognize like punching somebody's wrist is actually a move it's called chun choy and like mm-hmm. you're defending with a punch and it's it's really satisfying but what was interesting for me is using kung fu i wonder if that was a, a a conscious choice because it is not as showy even though of course they show off so much it's not traditionally like taekwondo or judo where it's about finishing moves it's a defense like oh it's a, it was developed by monks to protect people mm-hmm. from the you know invading manchus it was so i wonder if that was a, a like a conscious choice of the stylistic martial art of humanity versus robots would be the defense right like the protector. Yeah. no that's but, a good
2: question i'm yeah i 'd be curious to know if like that was a major influence or if it was just the fact that they loved you they know love this dude. He, movies yeah,
0: <laughs> and he teach and what' was so cool is to see how they do everything on wires, so the reason that everyone looks superhuman is because when you can jump like Trinity at the opening sequence, which is simply my favorite because it 's just so good, yes, and feminist and iconic is. Like if you're just being hoisted by wires that are then removed in CGI, which is why, you know, they're able to achieve things that are so graceful and beautiful, but are otherworldly. And I'm surprised that we don't see that so much anymore. Like you you do see wire work a lot, but not to the extent that this was. I mean, this is, I I feel like uh, almost 90% of the CGI in the film was just removing wires.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It seems, that, that seems right. I mean, I'm, I do wonder, you know, like we talked about the fact that, it seems like pretty much the entire cast got fairly uh, injured while shooting this. So maybe just like safety standards or something. I don't know. But, um, but it really, when you're watching it, it really does feel like they're actually there and they're actually doing the stunts, which is, is really cool.
0: Yeah. So um, were you surprised when you found out this was all shot in Australia?
2: Um, I was not that surprised because I feel like, uh, you can, I think it's supposed to take place in like Chicago or something like that, but, uh, you can definitely, I feel like, especially, um, in the opening sequence with, with Trinity, you can see like the, the background of the set, you know, and it's like not, it doesn't look super realistic, but, uh, yeah. I mean, like, I feel like you can tell that at least some of it was shot in a studio.
0: Yeah. It's just, this film is really rare in that they were, these, these young directors who had only made one film before were able to get the $63 million budget that they needed to make this. Mm-hmm. And it was such a huge hit, you know, it's rare for that to, all those stars to line up. I mean, I know that their producer was really amazing. I have him right yeah. now, um, but let's talk about, let's talk about budget. Like when you have, I mean, cause I feel like when I think about this, like, I feel like you know you always want more money but i feel like they had everything they needed right there's yeah. no there's no lacking for funds but they were only able to do that because they shot in sydney yeah like they had to create they had to create the like burned out uh american neighborhood look by literally making those sets cuz there yeah, was nothing yeah. like that in sydney
2: no they they definitely built a lot of really really cool sets um something that i saw watching the behind the scenes which i thought was was really awesome is uh during the at, right after they see uh the oracle and their after the, uh, deja vu and they they find out it's a trap and they go to hide into the walls. Um, it's really cool to see that set that they built for that. And it's like, it was just this huge, like, I think it was like 20 feet deep and like 80 feet tall. Um, and then there was like a two foot gap for them to actually be in. And it was cool. What bill Pope did for that to light it is there's just a single like big light source at the very top. And as they kind of continue to, like, go down between the walls, he had to, like, increase the, you know, intensity of that unit to keep up their exposure. But it's just really cool to see kind of all the, the stuff that they had to build for this. And it it really does feel pretty, pretty seamless, too, you know.
0: Wow. I love that those scenes because they're messing with, you know, they're, ver- they're everything is vertical. right? Yeah. And and traditionally film is very lateral yeah. and those scenes where it's, everything is compressed down to just a few feet of uh, their bodies is so beautiful. And so what it's cool that he just used one light source though. That's yeah. gotta be a challenge.
2: Yeah. It's, it, 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 it does feel pretty seamless, you know, as they're going down, like, uh, with the you know exposure, but I'm sure that it had to change pretty drastically. But uh when you're watching it you can't you know can't tell. Man,
0: but I assume they were on wires though, right? Not just scooching on up and yeah. down that <laughs> Yeah,
2: I assume I assume they're on wires. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um Andrew, why is this film cool?
2: That is a good question. There I know
0: that's why I'm asking you.
2: <laughs> there <laughs> there is a lot of cool stuff in this movie. Um I think even just like the in the costume design and stuff like the sunglasses the leather it's just i don't know it's it's really cool but i feel like after the movie came out like everyone was was trying to you know look like neo or trinity and like oh. was wearing sunglasses inside oh, yeah. and like Our
0: topic was flooded yeah <laughs> with those trench coats i remember <laughs>
2: It doesn't it, was... it doesn't look as cool when you try it, you know, in real life, but
0: Yeah. It uh, <laughs> turns, turns out you're not Keanu. Reeves.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's in the movie it looks it looks awesome. Yeah, um, that's such
0: a good point. In the yeah. movie it looks unbelievable. Yeah. But in person, yeah, it just doesn't really live it's up. It's
2: like, "Why why are you wearing those glasses inside?" Come on.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um I love I love Morpheus's glasses so much. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne is interesting. He when he read the script he said it was way too smart to ever get made and um it is surprising you know they're just like any film they have no shortage of idiotic notes from the studio and requirements like um they changed switch from being an actual you know kind of trans character to just being kind of androgynous but
2: yeah yeah originally for people that don't know originally switch was supposed to i believe be played by a woman in the matrix and then a man in real life or i might have Hold that. on,
0: I have it pulled up. I think it was opposite, sure. but either way, like the point was to represent that they had a different gender identity than they were assigned exactly. to the
2: Exactly, Exactly, which is, is such a cool idea and hints to, you know, what a lot of people um, view the film as nowadays, but it's it's lame that the studio was just like, oh no, like, people aren't going to get that like why is that a different actor you know like it's
0: not surprising though i mean that that was one of the worst things i found i think but besides a general note about how they had they insisted on including a lot of exposition dialogue because quote people wouldn't get it yeah Um,
2: but i do feel like the exposition is handled really well in this movie like like for example there's the sequence of uh neo like being uh trained and learning about the matrix and the rules of the matrix and stuff and like there's those four different sequences that go by and every time there's like a, a major lesson that you learn and i think it's just handled so brilliant brilliantly and there there is a ton of like just talking and explaining but the visuals while that's going on are, are usually really you know powerful as well so i i really you know for so much exposition, it, it just it doesn't feel like boring or too talky, you know.
0: It manages to withstand it because it's done so well. Like they move, the pacing is 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 perfect, right? Like you're yeah. you're constantly moving and being sucked further and further into the Alice in Wonderland, kind yeah, of plot hole. But I do remember reading a stat about like the first ninety minutes of the film, Neo asks like eighty percent only questions. Yeah,
2: yeah, I saw that too, and I, I think I think that was really interesting because. Like
0: what am I doing here?
2: Yeah, yeah. What? But I feel like I feel like Keanu is so good at asking those questions and I mean, and receiving exposition. Oh, yeah.
0: He's so tr- he's just. I mean, like I read that he's basically his entire career is, directors making him look cool. Yeah, but he is. <laughs> he is Neo. Like I cannot yeah. bother Will Smith actually playing him as much as I love Will Smith. It's just. Yeah,
2: weird. yeah. There were some really interesting uh, original casting ideas that they had. I think another configuration was. Like, uh, I think like, I know Johnny Depp at one point they were looking out, looking at as Neo, uh, I believe, um, Nicholas Cage was another option too. So
0: <laughs> can you imagine it just wouldn't work?
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think it would work. I mean, I think Keanu is, is perfect. Like he, like, for example, I feel like if Will Smith was Neo, like Will Smith is a great actor and he's, he's so like charismatic and stuff like that, but I feel like he would want to like add and like riff with everyone in the scenes and stuff, but I feel like Keanu just like you know asks asks questions. He listens and he like receives information so well, you know.
0: Well, he's like constantly confused. I mean, yeah. I would, I don't think it would have ruined the movie for Will Smith. I think it would have been really interesting for T. Yeah. Will Smith, but I think it's just he's yeah, he's he's a much more comic actor, I think, yeah. and like he's more fun and and Keanu like really carries the like, gravitas pretty well of. Mm-hmm. What's actually happening. So, yeah. um, as a cinematographer and filmmaker in general, what has your experience been like? Have you ever worked on a project where you felt like it was really miscast and there was nothing you could do about it? Like, have you ever worked on a project where the cast was utterly perfect? Like, talk about casting.
2: Um, that's, you know, something I don't have too much say over casting usually. And um, I will say that I think something that it seems like Keanu really brought to the role was his like physicality and dedication to learning the Kung Fu and stuff. And like on a lot of projects that I work on, on my side of things, you know, you can tell when actors are more experienced and more paying attention to like where the camera is, you know, how they place their body in relation to the camera, if they're hitting their marks or, you know, like feeling where the light is like those little details on, you know, as a cinematographer, go a really long way outside of kind of like more traditional performance things. But I feel like Keanu really like nailed that in this movie.
0: I mean, they did go they did go 10 days over shooting schedule for the subway scene, but yeah. for the people <laughs> who might be listening in Richmond right now, who don't know what hitting their marks or finding their light means, can you tell me what that's all about?
2: Sure. So um, in, in film, a lot of times you will use what are called like T marks and you'll often put like a little, piece of uh, tape down on the ground in the shape of like a T. And that just basically is where the actors are supposed to stand or like walk up to. And that's important because um, there's that's kind of like where the light is more focused and also where uh, like the camera marks are set for pulling focus as well. Um, So that's really important. And then I can't really explain it but i feel like certain actors just know how to like cheat their body to open up towards the camera they know like they understand how the light is hitting their face like little details like that you know Um, yeah
0: it's i think of it almost like people who are naturally photogenic know how to gently twist their face in such a right way when they see the camera right and you also have to be not afraid of the camera because often it's pretty big and it's zooming in close to you while you're trying to have a very intimate conversation but, yeah, definitely, um, definitely. That's just standard acting stuff. Um, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> but, you know, so uh, first of all, the cast is utterly perfect. Cinematography is perfect. The score is perfect. I mean, is there anything that you would give notes on? Like anything that you think you would change about this movie?
2: Yeah, I think for me, I think that there there are like some moments of pretty rough acting, mainly by like, uh, kind of like the people in like smaller roles, especially in the beginning. Like the the cop in the beginning, just like is kind of ridiculous. He's like, he's like, oh, like my men can handle one little girl. It's just like really kind of cheesy and stuff. But at the same so your time, they're already dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that that is a great line uh, by Hugo Weaving. Uh, but I think that uh, there are some moments like that where the acting is just a bit a bit rough but for me it doesn't really take away from the movie it's just like it's a little cheesy but it kind of works too because it it is like almost like they're like an npc or something like that yeah you know?
0: that's it. you know what and they and the attention to detail speaking of the characters i mean the only line that i would change delivery on and this is crazy that i'm getting that snip piggy, it's because i <laughs> think the movie's so perfect is when apoc says i hope the oracle gave you some good news i was like oh okay, yeah could you be any more deadpan but like <laughs> the The attention to detail that they used, you write on this. I'm sure the numerous sets of identical twins. Cast yeah, twins yeah. Wanted,
2: could, yeah, yeah. I wanted. Yeah, I wanted to that. talk about that. Yeah, so, um, in one of those kind of training scenes, I'll call it, uh, it is where Morpheus and Neo are walking in what seems like it's the Matrix, uh, but, um, it's actually a program that was designed by Mouse, who's another one of the uh, crew members, and. Um, it's a really subtle effect, but what they did is they hired identical twins. So there are always like, for every, you know, extra that you see in the film, there's another one that you will see as well. So it's a really interesting kind of subtle effect, but it basically, the idea behind it is that, uh, since it is a program, you know, to like save processing power or whatever, he just, you know, created doubles of everything.
0: I just, I think that is so genius and so cool.
2: Like, it's awesome, yeah.
0: It's an effect I would have never noticed on my own watching the film, but like that, yeah. there's one character you see who's just re- like buttoning, doing his license. and then like mm-hmm. within ten seconds, there's the same guy as a cop, and that's yeah. the idea like everyone is meant to feel the same, and there's no identity in the matrix, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. And I think another thing that's great about that scene is just like the the use of color, right? I mean, everything is very monochromatic until you do see that woman in the in the red dress, and. Um, And then, of course, she turns into Agent Smith. And and that's also another interesting kind of thing to think about and lesson for him to learn in that moment, which is that everyone in the Matrix has the potential to be an agent. So therefore, like, they're essentially an enemy, which is, you know, a slightly problematic thing to think. But it is because there's moments when they're killing, you know, seemingly innocent people or people who are just doing their job. But I guess yeah. the movie wants, wants to uh, show that, you know, they're all potential agents and kind of in the system.
1: Totally.
0: So for those of you who are just tuning in, this is the show called "They came from Outer Space." My name is Cameron Kitt. I'm here with Andrew Doherty to talk about the Matrix.
2: <sighs> yeah, I was getting into a little bit about the color um, in that one particular scene uh, they it's mostly all kind of monochromatic, and then there's the uh, lady in the red dress. but yeah. the the overall kind of feel of that scene um, is a little bit more yellow, I believe. Basically, the, the scenes that take place in the Matrix are very green. And then the scenes that take place in real life are, uh, have kind of a blue tint to them. And that's because they, the Wachowskis felt that blue was a more like uh, natural color. And then uh, the scenes that take place kind of in the program and training, uh, yeah, the training programs are a little more yellow. And, so, and
0: like, the Matrix itself is green because at the time, DOS was green. Like, and in yeah, the opening yeah. of the film, they go in through the type on a DOS computer. Yeah. Like, which, I don't know if anyone listening to this who's a millennial knows what I'm talking about. But <laughs> everybody above, have, like, Andrew, have you ever interacted with one of those, like, old typeface computers?
2: Yeah. I mean, when I was pretty young, but I, I, I do... I guess in my head, I still think of like code as being green. And yeah, stuff. code I, is
0: green, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and I love how the Matrix is just backward numbers and kanji like yeah, symbols. Yeah. <laughs> that's what the Matrix is made yeah. of. But I thought that was really interesting because I never really noticed that distinction. But it it that's what you that's what you want as a filmmaker, right? Is you want to Im- embed something as a stylistic choice that creates a subtle difference in your mind when you're watching it, so that your brain recognizes what is the Matrix and what is quote real life. That's
2: great. Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, the Wachowskis um, make so many like subtle decisions and and also pretty heavy handed decisions, but uh, they all like work together to get their ideas across. And and in this case, the separation between the real world, the matrix and the other uh, training programs, I think it's really effective.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought up heavy handedness because <laughs> uh, I listened to an interview with Lily, who is the head mm-hmm. writer. Lana is actually the director. They kind of just shared both roles. But yeah, it's like a total goal. I wish my sister would help me shoot movies. Yes. <laughs> I'm but, trying to
2: get my my brother to uh to go into film too. Yeah,
0: she just just because like it seemed like there's just so much you can do with two right when you're of one mind and you can just do more together. But yeah,
2: there's so many good director duos out there. You know,
0: they they made it a point to never come out and explicitly say, "Hey, this is a film about trans experience." That was actually some queer theory that was published on the film and yeah. that kind of picked up traction. And Lily and Lana have both been pretty open to saying the film is interpreted however you interpret it right? Yeah. And on, for better or for worse, as you mentioned at the beginning with, you know, white nationalists and Nazis taking images from it as well. Yeah. But, you know, I want to ask you, like, just on your own, what do you think this is means to you? Like, what does The Matrix as an allegory mean? And how do you relate to it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the reason that it's so universal is because, at least for me, it's like an awakening film. It's the idea that there's mm-hmm. something you know, something beyond your perception and that you can wake up and understand it. It's like, you know, whether like in the case of this film, it's, um, you know, it's machines who are creating like a, a fake reality that you, uh, are trapped in, or it's something like, uh, you know, it could be like capitalism or just things that are in our society that we don't really realize because it's mm-hmm. so like widespread you know
0: Mm-hmm. absolutely like yeah. like we live we live in a system of capitalism and patriarchy that yeah. seems invisible sometimes unless you are quote woken up um, yeah
2: and i think i think that like everyone can relate to that and i mean nowadays especially with the idea of like uh fake news you know and conspiracy theories and stuff like that i think that this film like resonates with a lot of people for for better or for worse, you know.
0: How much do you know about the whole red pill meaning and the men's in rights term, activist community? I,
2: I I don't know too much about it beyond the fact that um, essentially they these men feel like they're being you know oppressed by society and they you know choose to take the red pill and like wake up to recognize that oppression you know
0: yeah but the oppression is that women run the world
2: <laughs> yeah which is an absurd uh absurd idea it's
0: so huh. funny like oh yeah. and like the world is like you can't complain okay but that's yeah. you know this film is obvious like i think the point to me is like this film is it's just so it's that is so ironic that it was made by yeah. these two trans women and yeah. like that the film like that they're using a, a reference from a film yeah. that kind of proves point in a weird way like
2: yeah it's it's really it's really strange but i think that's just a testament to how like powerful this movie is like this movie is i don't think people i don't think the wachowskis or anyone realized like how much this was gonna influence culture and you know have such a big impact on society
0: yeah uh so I, I hate to end on this, but I'm gonna go for it. You sure. watched the two other movies,
2: <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Tell me what you thought. yeah. So I I did rewatch, um, Reloaded and Revolutions, and I think uh, okay. So overall, like when I was younger and I saw Reloaded, I did think it was pretty cool and stuff. But then after watching it a couple years later, I was like, this is terrible, and you know, I was a little bit surprised actually after. Rewatching uh, the rest of the trilogy, like it's not as bad as I remembered. Um, I think that Reloaded, especially like up until the highway sequence, is pretty pretty rough. Uh, but once it gets to that sequence and like it gets some momentum, um, it it starts you know the it starts to get pretty pretty intense and the the act- the action is really well shot actually and yeah yeah but the thing is er, okay but in reloaded the earlier action scenes are actually not that well shot like it feels feels lazy to be honest and i think it's also it's also like it it has the problem where at that point i mean at the end of at the end of uh, the original matrix neo pretty much like becomes a god and like is literally uh reborn you know know, like resurrected Yeah. yeah so so in reloaded he's just like fighting guys and like he doesn't even like have to really try you know it's just like easy for him and like there's no stakes really
0: yeah it's Um, just playing cool but the cool without stakes doesn't really mean anything
2: yeah yeah i mean that what makes this movie so great is there are so many stakes and you know it's so like all the action scenes have like meaning to them you know
0: and cypher even says you're here to save the world but like (laughs) i think a lot of the reason people give reloaded so much grief is because it is uh, it's not like the matrix in that it's a summed up one story it's just half of the ending so the first half of the ending gives you absolutely no resolution or answers it's the third movie that gives you all the answers and payoff and people were angry about that and i think the wikowski should have maybe just been more clear like they should have made it marvel movie like part one
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it ends on this pretty awesome cliffhanger, actually, in my opinion, where um, Smith has like taken over a human body in the real world and is like laying next to Neo, like, and they're both like uh, laying on like these uh, medical beds, which I think is a, yeah, I mean, I think it's a really great ending, but I could see, I could see people watching that ending on that kind of cliffhanger being, you know, not, not happy with it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, regardless of, of of how people feel about the later two movies, what's so cool is that this movie, as it stands, was able to withstand a lot of that over the test of time and kind yeah. of weather that and um, still be really powerful. So uh, for filmmakers, what would you say is a big takeaway for the, for the Matrix? Like, what do you think we can learn from this, especially thinking about low-budget film?
2: So I think that... With these kinds of things, you can't really predict how, you know, much of an impact they're going to make, like I said earlier. But I think if you explore ideas that are like personal to you, then it has a chance to feel personal to a lot of other people, too. So I would say to make art that is, you know, very personal to you.
0: It's funny because it doesn't seem like it would be very personal on its face, right? It's a pretty standard hero's journey. So, like, they imbued it with a lot of things that were really important to them stylistically, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that um, although it is, like, it is a kind of – I mean, it does take so much from, you know, like we said, Christianity and tons of other religions and other – you know, ideas and anime and philosophy and so much, um, like they kind of combined it all together into their own thing. And I think that um, whether you see it as a trans film or just like an awakening film, um, to me-
0: Cyberpunk film, hello? Yeah, cyberpunk
2: film, like kind of however you see it, I think that to me it comes across that this is something that the Wachowskis cared about incredibly deeply and they were not necessarily like thinking about how you know other people would view it.
0: hmm Yeah, that's the feeling I got from a lot of the on screen or like just the filmed behind the scenes stuff is like they just seem like they were really chill, hanging out, backwards baseball caps. Yeah. Just straight up nerds. Like I really yeah. relate to that. You know, yeah. that if, Same. <laughs> if you <laughs> Yeah. If you, yeah. Um, have you ever read Neuromancer or gosh, what's the other book that's very similar to the matrix? There was a couple books came out in the late eighties that were kind of like about people living inside the, the internet.
2: Yeah, no, I have not read Neuromancer, but I should, especially now that I have some, some downtime.
0: Oh, no, Neuromancer is so <laughs> yeah. good. It's filled, it's filled with a lot more like stuff that doesn't like last into the two thousands in terms of like being okay. You know, yeah. there's some, yeah. Uh, um, but okay. Um, Last word. What's your favorite thing, or is like if maybe maybe if you'd like to share something, Andrew, of like if somebody still hasn't seen the Matrix, why do you think they should watch it?
2: So I think that this movie has amazing fight scenes. It has some really interesting, you know, sci-fi ideas. Has great performances. We didn't talk about um, Hugo Weaving Hugo too Weaving. much, but like he's maybe the best villain yeah. in any movie I've ever seen. Like he's he's so good. Yeah, um,
0: his. Because because I finally realized why it's because I actually relate to him when he's like I need to get out of here. I was like, yeah, oh, that's yeah. How
2: and be. his his like his argument makes sense in a lot of ways. Oh. I mean, we do take over everything. We you know take up resources. Human beings
1: are a disease. You are a cancer of this planet, and we are the cure.
2: Yeah, we're spreading like a virus in a lot of ways, which is a weird thing to say now that there is an actual virus spreading um (laughs) but but his argument is is really interesting and like a lot of what he says makes sense but it's also just so evil at the same time that i don't know he he, and he he just his performance like he delivers it so well
0: yeah he he was he was imitating walter cronkite or like 1950s newsreaders and that's what Oh,
2: i I didn't know that that's super interesting
0: yeah so his Human beings are <laughs> a virus. Like you're yeah. you're so right. I mean, without his actual delivery, it would mean nothing, but he's written as such an interesting character because that was as a young person the first time I'd ever thought anything negative about humanity. Yeah. Right? I'd never had I'd never reflected upon our impact on the world and that yeah. you know, he's like like you guys are just like the dinosaurs. You're gonna die out and it'll be our time. That's a yeah. scary thought.
2: It is really scary. Um and I also I think I do think it's interesting how how Agent Smith uh, looks very similar to Neo's boss that we see in the beginning of the film. Oh
0: my goodness. Yeah, he's the man.
2: Yeah, the the agent
0: for a capitalist man. (laughs) Yeah,
2: he's just a white, you know, agent, male, capitalist.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, so reasons to watch The Matrix, Hugo Weaving.
2: Hugo Weaving and a bunch of other things, but uh, Hugo Weaving is definitely up there.
0: Awesome. Well, Andrew, we got, I think we got through almost everything. This was really fun. Um,
2: yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for coming on. Thank you for tuning in also to another episode of They Came From Outer Space here on WIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Indie Radio.